Last time we were talking about the importance of keeping one's legs together during prayer, and we mentioned the concept of tefillah prayer being uh, a process of receiving, and receiving, the main thing about it is stepping out of the mind frame of being an actor, being a doer, of, you know, grabbing life by the, you know, by the horns or whatever, you know, whatever expression you want to use, right? So, in, in tefillah is the opposite. We recognize that it's in Hashem's hands. I'm, I'm turning to Hashem. Uh, I'm unable to do anything. So, the feet being the way that we go out into the world, that we bring ourselves out into the world without, without feet, we wouldn't be able to go and impact the world. We'd just be stuck right here, you know, within my own little bubble. So, the way I bring myself out, the way I initiate any actions, every action begins with going to do it. That was one point that we spoke about. The other point that I wanted to bring out is a deeper concept that fundamentally um, a person has really three parts to him. There is the trunk, the trunk of the person, that's, that's really the essential person himself. That's where the life happens. In other words, that's where you digest the food, that's where the blood moves around, that's where all the organs are, the breathing, everything. That, that's where the life is. And then there's the part above, which is the head. The head is like a little antenna that we have stuck to the top of a of the trunk, right? And that and and, and antenna is quite a good analogy because first of all, antennas usually have a thin leg with a large dish on top, right? Which kind of looks like a head. And that's really the job of the head is to tap into things that are beyond the body. To think about abstract things, to think about lofty things that are beyond the physicality. The body itself, the trunk, is pretty much limited to the physical world. Food, air, moving around blood. That's pretty much it. So that's, we have the main person himself, that's the trunk. We have the up on top, the antenna going upwards. And then we have the appendages going downwards. That would be the two feet and the limb of procreation, of having children. Those all go down below to the, you know, whether it be towards our children or towards any sort of expression beyond. So there's a lower. So, um, again, the point being that in Tila, we're looking to be upwards, we want to be upwards directed, directed relating to Hashem, not relating outwards or downwards towards impacting the world ourselves. Okay, so that's the, so that's why we want to put two feet together. Now, there are greater ways to negate the feet. Can you think of greater ways to negate the feet than putting them together? Kneeling down. Very good. Kneeling down. 
right? And we do that rarely, sometimes very, that's already very extreme because when you kneel, you're beginning the process of like total negation of self, which is, uh, which is, you know, that, that, that's reserved for Roshama Yom Kippur, basically. Okay. Um, but it's reserved for only certain occasions. Yes, very, yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in other words, and, and, and I'll give you a taste, we're not going to talk about that right now, I think we, we will get to it later, but just to understand a little bit, um, it's similar to bowing. When we bow in prayer, so we bow, the Gemur tells us, there's really two places that you bow in the, in the Shemonesu, two places only. Uh, in the beginning, the first brach of uh, Magen Avraham, you bow down, and then again in Modim, and not more than that, you're not allowed to do more than that. Not allowed to. So like when you, uh, the very last uh, Oh, 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 that, yeah, that's, that's a good point. That, that's not a bow in the, in the, in, in the, in the, in that, um, absolute way. Um, the bows that we're talking about have a very specific halakhic criteria to them with the all 18 of the vertebrae um, popping out on the back. We'll talk about it, but, but the point that I want to focus on is that when we do, when we do bow down, so the Gemara says that if someone is a Kohen Gadol, the, the high priest, so then he bows down at the beginning, at the end of every, of every bracha, in the in the in the prayer, and if someone is a melech, the king, he bows down and stays bent the entire time through. Okay, and the the point being, the more one is in is in the direct presence of the divine, the more appropriate, you know, in commensurate to that, is the level of negation of self that's happening. So on Rosh Yom Kippur, which is a very tremendous closeness that we have with, with Hashem, so then there's a greater level of self-negation, which is why there's more bowing down. Yeah, there's a little bit of a tangent. We'll get, to, we'll get to it later. Okay, so now other things, exactly, thank you. Now other things that we do in the posturing of the tefillah in order to put ourselves into the correct state of mind is the, the Gemorian Yuvamas says, based on the Pasuk, that my eyes and my heart will be there all the days. In other words, that uh, you know that, I, that, that that I'm always looking towards the heavens. I'm always trying to relate to Hashem. Right. So that's my that's. Um, Sorry, I made a mistake. One second. The Gemara says, that's actually a source 
to be looking downwards in tefillah. Let me check that pasuk. So, uh, so actually, that that pasuk, I, I, misses, I thought it was, I thought it was Shlomo speaking to Hashem, but it's the other way around. This is Hashem after Shlomo Melech built the base of Migdish. So he. Um, he has a, a prophetic vision from Hashem, and Hashem says to him that he's sanctified the temple, and he'll place, Hashem will place his name there forever, and Hashem says, and my eyes and my heart will be there all the days. So now, based on that, the, the Gemara is learning out that a person should put his eyes down I think the point is, it's a svara, it's a basic reasoning. Ari, can you can you help connect that? If, if the Pesach is telling us Hashem is looking down, so why does that mean that we shouldn't look up, that we should look down? Exactly, exactly, very good. Yeah, uh, the last thing that a servant is allowed to do is to make straight eye contact with the master. Right, because what's eye contact? I mean, check it out. Go, go to the south side of Chicago, and make eye, make eye contact with someone. You know what's gonna happen? They're gonna say, "What? What? You want to fight? Right? Like that? It's right away. Like, what do you mean? What, what makes you think I want to fight? I'm just looking you in the eyes. Right? But the answer the answer is that there's a certain I meaning when you don't look someone in the eyes, then it means it's a sign of submissiveness because looking in the eyes is pure like I get you you get me like we're on the same wavelength with the whites of the eyes evolved because like for example animals they don't have most animals don't have the white side because we cannot track or we track movement based on the whites where your pupils are. So okay. if you don't have the whites, you can't track movement. Okay. So in the past, people who did not have the whites, other people would kill them because they couldn't know their intention. Okay. Cute. Okay. Yeah. Um, and just out there. Yeah. This is different. We'll talk about Kriyishma, but this is for sure different than Kriyishma. For example, we already spoke about standing. And when you say Shema, you don't have to stand. The point is that in here, the prayer, tefillah, we're talking about being in the presence. We're talking about literally being in front of the king. Whereas Shema is you're saying something to yourself. You're talking to yourself. You know, you're talking. You're saying very, very, very important high things, but we're not in the presence of the king, and that's why there's many halacha differences in that. So many, it's hard to find ones that are similar. Um, okay, so that's one source that the one should look down. On the other hand, the Gemara learns from a different pasuk where. Nosa libenu el kapaim or al kapaim el kale bashamaim. Let us lift our hearts 
on our palms to God in heaven. Now when you take your heart into your palms and you lift it up, so what kind of, uh, where are you looking? Where are you looking? Up. And where is your heart? If, if before we said that your heart should be down here, you, the whole point is to you bring your heart up and seemingly your eyes. That's a natural thing. When I lift up my, when I lift something up, I, my eyes track what I'm, what I'm bringing up there, right? So, so the Gemara understands that to be in conflict. So which one is it? Says the Gemara, right? So it says one opinion says this way, and one opinion says this way. And then the Gemara says that we we resolve it by saying it's not a contradiction. You should be looking downwards, but your heart should be yearning upwards. Now, when we say your heart should be yearning upwards, what does that mean? We don't mean. I mean, a person's heart is in his chest. It does. It's not going anywhere, right? So, what does it mean that your heart is going upwards? Heart is a symbol of thought, intention, focus. Right? It's it, not the head, no? What? Well, heart is the more emotional part of the head. It's the, it's the internalized, is the thoughts that you have in your head that have come down into, that are actually impacting on the person. There could be more abstract thought that's, that's really detached from me. And then there's integrated thought, which is termed the heart. Right? But the point is that this is what I yearn for, this is what I'm looking for, and that's upwards, but I'm looking downwards. In other words, it's like one of these situations where I so badly want to look. I so much yearn to be in, in, in a, literally in the closest possible way interacting with Hashem, but on the other hand, I can't. But, but I can't bring myself to look up, because who am I to look up? So it's, it's this duality. And this and this, uh, and this friction really speaks to the really the state of man, the existence of man, because man is a composite of two very opposite things: body and soul. Now the body is a very physical, coarse entity filled with lusts and jealousy and desires and laziness and all sorts of negative things. And yet the soul is tremendously lofty and high. And obviously the two of them are in a power struggle. But even when the person is doing the right things, doing mitzvahs or whatever, the body is still a little bit of a weight on the soul. So, we've spoken about this many times before, I'm not going to go into it in full depth right here, but there's two basic modes of interacting, of relating to the Divine. One is called Yira and one is called Ahava. Yira means awe, 
or fear, and Ava means love. Now, someone that you love, you look them in the eyes, Alex? Good. <laughs> you never do. Because love speaks to closeness, speaks to similarity, being on par with someone, being very close with them. Right? Or, if you're awed by something, like we just had in Parsha's Shmos, Moshe, with the burning bush, right? And he said, Manorama Komaze, how awesome, right? This is so, it's such an awesome sight. I can't look at this. And he turns away. And he, not Manorama Komaze, that's Yaakov, but, uh, but, uh, but he says it's an awesome sight. Yeah? He, and he turns away. So something is awesome. You're like, well, I'm not worthy to be looking at this. Yeah? So, where are those two feelings coming from? On the one hand, we feel towards Hashem, or on the other hand, we feel love. So the Ramchal in many places, as well as the Maral, uh, uh, says that one is coming from the perspective of the fact that we're physical, we have a physical body, and the other one's coming from our soul, which is spiritual. So, which one's which? Ari? Exactly, because, because the body is awe, or it's the whole family of feelings, or fear, embarrassment, right? Like, who am I to be interacting with this absolutely, like, I'm so, I know who I am, right? That type of thing. So that comes from the body, which is selfish, lazy, and jealous, and everything else, right? And, but on the other hand, the soul is a very pure, lofty, awesome thing, which feels a tremendous affinity towards the spiritual. So these are the two. So we see them right here in the posturing, that on the one hand, the physical flesh and blood eyes that I have look down. I'm a little bit angled downwards, which is a submissive kind of a... Uh, humble, embarrassed, can't raise my eyes to look up, uh, awe type of a feeling. And on the other hand, the soul inside yearns for nothing but to get closer. That's the heart that's facing upwards. Eyes looking downwards, heart facing upwards. That's the... uh, that's the two over here, and of course, the one has to do with, so to speak, my my definition as I am unto myself. Like, if, and one is my definition as I am, a cre- a creature of God, uh, an extension of God, uh, so that I'm connected to God. In that, I'm wonderful and awesome and great in, my, in the fact that I'm the handiwork of the Creator. In, but if I'm just viewed by myself in a bubble, not recognizing my Creator, then I'm a, uh, not much better than a monkey, right? Which is what the, uh, the one thing evolutionists got right, is that they're not much better than monkeys. Yeah. Um, 
because they're cut off. To the extent that you're cut off, so then yeah, then you're just you're just a hairless monkey. Um, but uh, so do, uh, we recognize that there's, both are true. I have a physicality to me, but I also have a tremendously high spirituality to me. That's the posture over here. Okay, next. Unless there's any questions. Okay. Um, says the Gemara Sanhedrin, someone that Davins should view himself as if he's standing in front of the Divine Presence. Which is, this is instructions to every person. It's not instructions to prophets only. It's not instructions to great Torah scholars. instruction to every single person. That's an awesome thing. That three times a day, you're literally in the presence of the of the Divine. Right? So, and it says, the Pesach is, Shivisi Hashem Negdi Tamid. Right? And the... Yeah. Um, I placed Hashem in front of me always. That's uh, in the time of praying. So, so much so that when the when the Jewish people would go up to uh, to Yerushalayim three times a year for the uh, pilgrimages. Else, what are the three pilgrimages? Oh, <coughs> uh, good Pesach. Okay, Sukkot and Shavuos. Very good. Okay. In order, it will be Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. Right. So those are the three Chagim, or the three Regalim, that people would go up to the base of Mikdash. Every Jewish male would, would travel to Yerushalayim for it. And imagine this. Basically, if you stood all the way at the gate facing towards the base of Mikdash, there was gate after gate after gate after gate, and you could literally see into the Holy of Holies. Now, usually there's many gates. But during the, during the pilgrimages, they would open up all the gates, pull back the parochas, the curtain, that divided between the holy and the holy of holies. And the Jewish people could literally see inside the Kodesh HaKadosh. And what was the purpose of this? Says the Gemara, the purpose was that we should see the Kruvim, the two angelic appearances on top of the uh, holy ark, embracing in an embrace of husband and wife like such a closeness and, and that speaks to what's happening in the in the tefillah is literally a, a time of of, a, of such intimate closeness and connection that we have with Hashem okay Next is Gemur and Sota now. A person's prayer will not be heard unless he 
at that time places himself, views himself, is in a state of being like a uh, like a bag of meat. Like the Apostle says, Vaya Midei Chodesh Bechadshow, and it was every month and every month, etc. Yavo Kolbasar, that all of flesh would come in front of uh, in front of Hashem in the in the base Hamikdash. So few people are being called Basar, flesh. Why are people being called flesh? Because because Basar means you know like dead meat. Right, like it's, there's there's not there's no ability of your own. Right, so the the, 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 the biggest problem that we sh- that we have is viewing ourselves as having abilities that pushes Hashem out. Because if you could do it yourself, okay, so go ahead, do it yourself. <laughs> then you don't need me, right? So it means so the the most important thing in tefillah. The, to be answered is this dependency of recognizing it's not in my hands it's entirely in your hands it's not just like oh I'm asking but you know I, I think I can do a lot also here it will be a partnership no 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 uh, dead meat can't do anything it, it's completely in Hashem's hands at the time of prayer once we're done Hashem empowers us and now we we believe with absolute faith that we have the ability to accomplish those things that we uh, pray to Hashem for. In fact, I love going back to this. In the Derek Hashem, the Ramchal says that the whole reason why Hashem gave us the mitzvah of tefillah, of prayer, is because since we have to be involved in the physical world, we have to be active in providing food and shelter and you know, other things for ourselves and for our family members, etc. So we have to be involved in the physical world. But it would be such a trap. We would be lost in that trap of trying to do all these things and forget about Hashem. So before we get involved in those things, Hashem first gives us a mitzvah, first turn to me for help. And then when you set out to be engaged in this thing, you're no longer going to be viewing it as like, you're doing it. No, you're not doing it. You already asked Hashem to do it. So now, as you're involved in it, you're Hashem's emissary. You're, 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 Hashem is empowering you to to do this and to accomplish this. But not, uh, we're not, God forbid, doing this anything ourselves. Okay, that's, a, that's a very important. Because otherwise, if Hashem were to answer the prayers of a person who doesn't view himself this way, so then the person would really say, oh, so I, it was me the whole time. It wouldn't be attributed to Hashem because I have my own ability. Once you know that you cannot do it and then, and then Hashem gives you the help, then you will attribute it directly back to Hashem. Then, then you, know that you know that it came from Hashem. Okay? Um, next. Mishnah Perkiyavu says, a person should not make his prayer established. Uh, Rather, you should make it a, a, a supplication where you're talking to the king. 
like a, a servant who is who is uh, asking his master for something. When you come to ask for, let's say theoretically there was some sort of a policy, whatever it is, before you could get your, I don't know, your paycheck, you have to answer some questions, right? Or, or you even have to say, can you please give me this, right? So you come every time, can you please give me that, and then they give it to you. Can you please give me that? They give it to you. That's because you know you're gonna get it. You just need to say the following, like a little pet peeve of mine, when parents, people with children, the child says, "Give me the, give me the muffins," and the parent says, "What's the?" picks up the plate. What's the magic word? Please. And the parent gives them the plate. It's like, okay. So in other words, they're not really asking you. They just, there's a magic word. They need to say a magic. Once they say the magic word, you know what happens when you say magic words? Magic. Magic. The thing happens, right? That's what magic does. Magic accomplishes the thing, right? So you gotta say the magic word. Just do it. You're not actually asking me for it. I'm not actually deciding if I'm gonna give you the muffin or not. You just have to, just, as long as you do the magic word, you're going to get the muffin. So really, you're not getting the muffin from me. You're just taking the muffin, just your hand is too short, so instead you use the magic word. Yeah? So... No. They need to ask me. Whatever formula they want. But I have to understand from the from them, they are asking me, and they understand that, that whether they get them off or not depends on me, right? And, and then I will decide if I give them off or not. So please, it's like the decision is already made. As long as, long as they please, they're, they're going to get it. No, I say to them, are you telling me to give you them off? Or are you asking me to give you the muffin? That's the real thing, right? I mean, please could be a way of saying, you know, can you please pass the tissues already? Right? That, that, that's, not a, that's not a request. That's, that's a command. I'm just saying the word please. Yeah, so the, 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 the important thing is not, is not the magic word. The important thing is they should be a recognition as my muffin. And I'm not giving it to you unless I decide to. <clears throat> okay, so um, so so that's the concept over here that a person shouldn't if you, if your if your prayer becomes rote, you're just saying certain equation. So what does that mean? It's the, it's the magic word. As long as you mumble these following words over here, right, you're gonna get your thing. He says, no, no, these are not magic words. They're very, very wise words. The words that we have in the Siddur, it's, it's, it's a big question because everyone asks, well, if you're not supposed to make your fila kvaya, you're not supposed to make it rote, just the same thing every time, so then why do we say the same words every time? We have a Siddur, we have a, it's printed, where we, say the, we have to say all those words and not, and not other words. So, so how do you make that not be rote? Answer is those words. Go through the whole prayer in two minutes. That's a different. Okay, that that could be 
maybe maybe you need to take more time on that. But but here we're asking a question. The sages themselves told us not to make the, the prayer repetitive, and yet they're the ones that wrote for us what to say. The Anshik Nesak Dola are the ones that that uh, crafted the verbiage of the of the Shmonesrei. So the answer is that that verbiage is so <coughs> malleable. It's so there's so many different nuances and so many different things to focus on and think about that it's the possibilities are literally endless, right? So uh, that's one thing. And then the other thing is that you can insert your own things. In addition, there's multiple places. Technically, really, inside of every bracha, even you could, if you, knew, if you know what you're doing, certain places that are uh, even more designated, in Shema Koleinu, and at the end, where you can really uh, talk your heart out. So so that's that's for sure. But the, even the words themselves, each every time you do it, if you do it with intention, you do it properly, it could be a brand new tefillah. And the point is because if you know you're coming to ask, let's say, let's say theoretically, you ask someone for something and you and you didn't get it. And now, but you really need this thing. You, you, you you're going into you, to ask again. You can say the same exact thing as as the first time. Doing the same exact same thing over and over, expecting different results. Mm. Yeah. Now, now the truth is that you could say, well, let's say theoretically, if I'm if I take a sledgehammer and I hit a, a brick wall, it might take me ten hits until I break through the wall, right? So, so the first time I hit, I didn't see any changes, right? But maybe if I keep on hitting, eventually I'll break through. But but the but, but here, uh, but I agree with you, you know fundamentally. I'm just, I'm just pointing out that there is a, a caveat, yeah. But um, but the point is that no, you're gonna try a different approach. Why why would you say the same thing? I mean, those words didn't work that last time. So so you try a different approach. Maybe you know maybe this time a bit more arousing of mercy or. Maybe this time a little bit speaking out how terrible the situation is. Whatever it may be, but you're going to try something different. So the point is, saying the same thing every time means you're not really asking. If you're asking, then every time is going to be a bit different. So if I heard this from just somebody, and you answered the question, just, just reading transliteration, not understanding what you're reading. It's, it's a tricky question you're asking because it certainly seems to not be very effective, right? However, I'll just say one nuance to that is if you're saying it with emotions and you know that these words and somehow or another, you don't know exactly how, but these words really are saying everything you need to say. And you really genuinely, you know, putting all those desires and, and all those uh, um, yearnings into those words, then it can have some effect. Is it going to be a great effect? No. But it can have some effect. And these, those words are so uniquely powerful 
there are different opinions if a person doesn't know Hebrew what's better to do to say those words and to try to just kind of blindly put your feelings into them without really but but you're saying really really powerful words or to to pray in English and to actually be able to put your emotions into your words but the words are going to be a bit off because the, the translation is never good the answer is you're stuck between a rock and a hard place the best thing to do is to learn it and to be able to pray properly but in the meantime I think that the better thing to do especially in your situation is for sure to just pray in English and to do it from the heart yeah I just wanted to defend the other side if you meet somebody who is doing the other route uh, not to bash it. On that statement, so uh, what if you can't read Hebrew but you don't know half the words? Same thing. The, 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 the reading Hebrew is not the point. The point is the being able to say the Hebrew words. I don't care if you read the Hebrew, you want to memorize it, you can memorize it. You know, that, the point is to say the Hebrew words and to know what those words mean. That's the golden standard. Uh, otherwise, their opinions this way or that way. I think for our purposes it's better to do the English. Uh, but there is uh, what to be said for the other side as well. Okay, uh, next. The Gemara in Brachas, back to the Gemara in Brachas, that Lamad Beis Amad Beis says a teaching from Rabbi Yochanan, one of the great Amaroyim, whoever elongates in his prayer, I mean, he, he prays for a long time, um, his prayer will not come back empty-handed. And he brings a, a posik, that Moshe daven to Hashem, for 40 days and 40 nights, and Hashem listened to his prayer. So you see that praying for 40 days and 40 nights will get the job done. No, no, no. That's not what Rabbi Yochan said. Rabbi Yochan said they will not come back empty-handed. It means you'll, you'll get something. Okay. Now, now the Gemara says... A seemingly contradictory statement from Rabbi Yochanan. Whoever elongates in his prayers and looks into it, in the end he will come to a heartache. Also based on the Pasuk. Heartache, yes. If he prays for a long time, he looks into the prayer. Now, we'll talk about in a minute what that means to look into the prayer, but that's what the, those are the words. So, so the Gemara resolves the contradiction, probably what Ari was already grabbing onto. This is not difficult. This is where you elongate your prayer and you look into it. And here is where you elongate your prayer and you don't look into it. Now, what does it mean to look into it? Look into it means that a person is expecting those words, that prayer to take effect. In other words, I prayed such, I, I really took my time and I, and I really 
went all out and it took a long time both um, maybe stretching out the words or even that you know like say the words slowly right and then also maybe adding my own words and when, by the time the person walks away from the prayer he says that was rock solid Hashem's gotta answer me he has to answer me on this one that was such a good feeling he has to answer me so you're looking to see the fulfillment of this tefillah. So you did a long tefillah and you're looking to see the results. Then you'll come to heartache. But if you pray for a long time, but it's filled with supplications, statements of, I know I'm not worthy and, and, uh, and, 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 and I've done things wrong and uh, you've already done so much for me anyway but it would be so in- incredible for me etc the, the, the more the more you recognize in the tefillah the, the kindness of Hashem and the lack of your entitlement to anything then on the contrary then Hashem is going to want to answer that it's a little bit like paradoxical. It's kind of like the same thing as do good deeds and don't expect anything in return. That's how you will be the happiest. Like but if, if you if you're told that from Yochanan said, I want to hear that. You want to address that? Uh, doing good deeds and not expecting anything in return is a bit different because. Good deeds don't necessarily have to. It actually happens to be that they do, but they don't necessarily have to give you anything back in return. But here we're saying you're asking. So the more you ask, if I said to you, "Hey, can I have a, can I have an apple?" and you say no, okay, fine. I, I can understand that you don't want to give me an apple. What if we, we don't know each other that well? But you know, we're I think we're in decent terms. What if I fall to my knees and I beg you, like, please give me the apple? It's the most important thing in my life. It, are you going to give me the apple? Probably, right? Come on. you so, like, so, so the point is, so when, you, when you dive in that hard, when you pray so much and so hard, there is a certain level of expectation of like, come on, like, you're not, you're not going to respond to that? Like, that was, that was a real... Selfishness in that also. It's true. And, and more than selfishness, because selfishness, whenever we're asking for things from Hashem, you're pointing out that really we should be asking for things, even for physical, material things for ourselves, in order to be able to sanctify Hashem's name in the world. Right? That's that's a very good point you're making. The Nefesh Chaim talks about that, that really, ideally, even we're asking for, like, Hannah. Hannah uh, was infertile for many years. She prayed to Hashem for children. So Nefesh Chaim says that she was praying that, that with her not having children, she can't, she can't make the proper sanctification of Hashem's name in the world. She can't raise up a tzaddik. She can't, uh, you know, educate a, a Jewish child in the ways of the Torah, etc. So it was, uh, she wants to do it for Hashem. And that's the type of servant that the master wants to say yes to, right? A servant who's really coming and saying, Master, you know, there's a field over there that you have that it's filled with weeds. Please, please give me a, what they used to think to you know, dig out the, yeah, to you know, pull out the weeds, the weed 
yeah, weed thing, right? Uh, to to make your field better for you, please, right? So that that's a very good point. Um, but there's there's even there's even more than that. There's a certain feeling of entitlement, of like really you should be getting it, right? And if you realize that you're dealing with the perfection, you're dealing with something that is completely beyond any level of our ability to grasp. And we are this little tiny piece, ball of physicality that's filled with Yetzirah, with, uh, you know, with all sorts of negative things, then how can we feel entitled to anything, no matter how much we pray? So the point is, the more, the more praying we do, the more recognition there should be that I'm not really deserving, and I'm comp- and I'm just relying. I'm I'm, I'm uh, relying and I'm arousing the heavenly kindness to provide that for me. It's a little bit like um, it's a little bit non like truth because when you why? well okay first of all why do I expect no no one davens thinking well, I'm davening just to daven I don't actually want anything I don't expect no, no. anything I'm just davening. No, expect and want are two different things. You're totally right that you have to want it. You have to want it. Because if you don't want it, then then you haven't created a vessel. Want means that there's a lack. When there's a lack, there's a there's a vacuum, there's a void in there, and Hashem will fill that void. But that's what you want. True. But expect means that I'm that you owe it to me. I could want something but not but not expect that I'm gonna get it. But be super excited when it happens. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask God for something if I didn't expect God to listen to me or answer me. Why would maybe, I? Maybe, we're, maybe, we're misusing, maybe we're using the word expect a bit differently. Expect means that there's a... Like expectations are meant to be met and they're not meant, then there's disappointment in the person. I mean, like, you let down. Like you, I mean, how else? How else can you feel when you're? So again, let's well, say, for example, you turn to me. You turn to me, right? Again, or you turn to Leo and you say to him, "Leo, can I please have an apple?" Yeah. Now you'd like the apple. It's a really nice-looking apple, and you're hungry. Yeah. But do you expect that he's going to give you the apple? If somebody told me that, if I ask Leo for an apple and he'll give me the apple, then I would expect. Oh, so so the so so then that's where you're making a mistake. If I done four days or four nights, then I'm gonna get something. That's true. So, if, so obviously I'm gonna expect to get something if I'm told by Rabbi Yochanan that I'm gonna get something. Uh, the, the Rabbi Yochanan is saying, if you don't expect, then you'll get. Then, then what, but even saying that is, it's paradoxical because saying that if you don't expect, then you'll get. Now I'm expecting to get. Well, it's paradoxical. It's true. You, not every a paradox uh, doesn't necessarily not make me. It makes sense. Well, how does it work? It's so I'm explaining to you. It works that very very basic again. Back to the child analogy, right? It, the more someone feels, if, if someone comes to you and they ask for something and you feel like they're they are kind of demanding it of you, then you're gonna say no. I, I don't have to give you that. Why should I? I don't owe that to you. Whereas if they come and they say, listen, I realize you don't owe me anything. I'm just asking you out of the generosity of your heart. Then you're much more likely to give it. 
Yeah, and you can you can say that, but in this scenario, I can even how how do you believe that when you're not? If if you're told that don't expect it and you'll get it. I can try as hard as I can to not expect it, but I'm still in the back of my mind. I'm really thinking. I really do expect it. I agree. I agree. Like, how, there, do you, how do you get to the there level is where a you paradox. Don't, you don't actually expect it? Right. Because of course you're going to. Well, that, that's the reason you're dominating is because you expect. I, so I guess maybe you should say, I'm not sure if I'm elongating my prayer sufficiently where I would get it. And therefore, and therefore, I'm not necessarily going to get. You hear that? You're right. If I prayed for 40 days and 40 nights, then Hashem would give me. If somehow I could keep that humility while praying for 40 days and 40 nights and not feeling like, wow, that was a prayer like 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 Moshe Rabbeinu's, right? If if somehow magically I could do that, then uh, then I for sure my feel would be answered. But being that I only prayed for two hours. So that certainly I'm not guaranteed of having anything answered, and I'm not deserving of that. Why not? Because said if you pray for 40 days or 40 nights, then you'll get something from God. Right. So, and also you hear that all over the place that if you dive with God, then God will. That's a different discussion. That's a different discussion. That statement is true if you dive correctly, and here we're being given. So a laundry oh, so it means a lot of things we saw already not to make your tila kva we, we saw that you have to make your tila will not be answered until we, unless you turn yourself into dead meat and it's just like totally powerless uh, etc there's, there's, there's many many criteria and what is something that means it could be the smallest thing that you're not even aware of and if you do all those things but then probably Rabbi Yochanan wouldn't be saying much we assume that Rabbi Yochanan is saying something Okay. Very good points, guys. We'll try to come back to it, maybe. Thank you.